Psalm 19, verses 7 and 13. All right. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is what? Yeah. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are what? True and righteous altogether. And are they pretty valuable? Yeah. What does verse 10 say? More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. That's a great analogy if you really like honey. If you don't like honey, pick your favorite. (laughs) Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. So right here we see that not only is it true, it's something we should desire. We have to ask ourselves, how often are we, as we read this, and I knew as I read this yesterday, how often do I really realize how valuable this is? It's more precious than anything we have. And if we really believe that, then hopefully our actions will show that. And maybe we'll be encouraged to go, wow, that's right. That's what this is. I need to be in it every single day. And we also know, turn with me now. So that was Psalm, right? Psalm 9. Now I want you to go over Isaiah. Keep your finger in Psalms, though, because we'll be coming back to Psalms. Isaiah. Ryan mentioned that uh, we're going to be studying Isaiah here in a couple weeks. And uh, really invite you all to come. It's an amazing Isaiah is the prophet that is quoted more than any other Old Testament prophet in the New Testament. So it's a pretty important prophet. He's a major prophet. Now, the prophets weren't major in mind. We call them major only because of like Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah because of the volume. And if you've read, you know, those, you know, those are long books. Isaiah is a long book. doesn't mean Obadiah. Habakkuk, and the others are minor. They, just, they were shorter. So Isaiah, 55. Isaiah writes in the time of uh, this 8th century B.C. in 700s. Assyria is, a rise, is, is the rising power in the world at the time, and he's prophesying for the, Judah and, and what's going to happen in Judah. Syria has already come down or does come down and takes over the 10 northern tribes. Israel is gone the Assyrian king has taken that away, and he's, and he's prophesying here. He prophesies about what's going on then there and also what happens in the future. Here he says this, though, with respect to God's word, respect to the manual that you have. Listen to what this prophet said. Who has been proven a prophet, if he had not, what he had said had not been true, what would have happened to him? Anyone know? He would have been executed by Jewish law. That's how you know a false prophet. So listen to this prophet who, whose word is true. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, this is Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's pretty encouraging. That's Isaiah writing. And I, I should probably summarize it and to help you understand Isaiah too. This is God speaking directly. 
Isaiah is a very interesting book, and it's set out almost like a drama. And in this particular part of the drama, this is God speaking. He says, I will accomplish, my word will accomplish its purpose. It's going to happen. With these promises that you have, they will happen. Now, for us as believers, sometimes we want them to happen now. We don't see what's one of the biggest promises. What's the greatest hope we have? A promise to come. The return of Christ, right? It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. God's word accomplishes its purpose. It's active, and it shall succeed in the things that he has purposed it to do. So that's just a little tiny bit of what the manual says about what this word of God is. It is, it is God-breathed. It has, it's purposeful. It does not go out void. Uh, it will come to pass. We can trust this word. And for those of you out there, I've spent many years studying this manual. I love it. I wasn't always a believer. I'm encouraged. For those of you out there who might be, who might be not, not sure where I'm at in this whole Christian thing, I've sat where you're sitting. I've done the research. I'm here to tell you, the manual will tell you this too, I didn't come to understand it by my own nature, by God's grace, by him alone, the, the, the work he did in my heart to transform it from somebody who could read English, most of us out there can read English, but why does it affect me? Because of God's grace. That God's grace is available to anybody, paradoxically, who will confess their sins and cry out to God. So what about this author? I talked about our manual having really smart people, right? Well, let me tell you a little bit about the author of this book. He's really smart too. He knows what he's talking about. He's eternal, so that separates him from most of us, earth dwellers. Go to back to Psalm, Psalm chapter nine, uh, 90, the 90th Psalm. He's, ex- he's eternal. He, he existed before time. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth, and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He exists when time will end. Slip over to Psalm 102. Psalm 102, go to verse 25. A lot of Old Testament work this morning. It's the whole word of God. Crack it open. Psalm 102, here we go, verse 25. He's eternal, he will exist after time. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Like, whoa, wait a second. You just said the stuff was true, Fitz, and it says that the whole thing's going to perish. Yeah, we don't have time today, but go, uh, spoiler alert, go to Revelation, the last book in the Bible, go to 21. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I don't know how that works, but the old will be forgotten. The new will be here. We will be, God will dwell once again with man in perfect harmony for all those who will be with him. That's how you, he can say that all of this is going to go away, but the children of your servants shall dwell secure. So there is, there's hope. In fact, it's a great hope. 
for all of the crazy things that are going on in this world will be no more. He will wipe the tears from our eyes. That's what it says in Emmanuel. He's sovereign, though. I mean, we've kind of, if you go right to the beginning, right, just open up manual page one. If I go to page one of my manual, I'm not used to using this, this manual. This is, uh, but if I went to this manual, I went to page one, I would read Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if anyone really knows what a manual about being on earth is about, it's the guy who created us and the earth. Deuteronomy 4.39, know therefore today and lay it to your heart. This is as applicable to us as it was to the children of Israel. That the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Folks, we can take supreme peace and comfort in knowing that. Again, think of the things that are going on, the headlines you're reading. You don't even have to, most of the times, you know, some of you don't even have to get past the headlines. You're too busy right now dealing with your own very serious issues. Well, this God, this author loves you, and he provides peace for you through his word and through the church. Those who are called to minister to you and to love you through this time. Our engineers, as good as they are, that write our manuals, they're not perfect. They don't have perfect knowledge of the system. Okay? This is a manual for us. The author of this manual has perfect knowledge of us. Once again in Psalm 139. You turn to Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Do you hear what he's saying? He knows you before you were even formed. This is illustrated in John, uh, in uh, the first chapter of John. And if you, uh, you can mark that, it's uh, verse 44. Nathaniel, when he's called, Philip goes, you've got to see this. We've found the Messiah. So Nathaniel, who becomes a disciple, and Jesus sees him coming towards him for the first time, for the first time. Jesus sees him. He says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in who there is no deceit. And Nathaniel going, Yeah, that's me. And inside, that's what he's saying. Yeah, that's me. I'm the Israelite. There's no deceit in me. And he goes, How did you know? How did you know me? Jesus responds, answers. He goes, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He searches us. He knows us. He knows when we sit down, when we rise, he can discern our thoughts from afar. Continuing in that psalm, verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The Hebrew word there that we translate wonderful, actually, it is a good translation for what wonderful used to connotate in our language, which was something unfathomable. And that's what that means. It's unbelievable. We can't even understand it, comprehend it. Going down to verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. 
In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I'm all about trying to be in shape. I love working out. Maybe you can see I don't love it as much as I used to. I need to love it a little bit more. Um, you know, and, I, and so I appreciate wanting us to keep, take care of the bodies that God has given us. But like the magnet on the refrigerator says, eat right, exercise, die anyway. <laughs> it says it right here. <laughs> he knows the number of days that we have. Again, it's told elsewhere in the manual that we should be wise stewards of what we're given. So we're not to just throw it away. But he knows. Again, if we can wrap our heads and our hearts, most importantly, around that, and maybe, maybe, we can, maybe we can chill a little bit. Maybe we can be at ease because he knows. And if you rest today secure in a knowledge that Christ has transformed you and you have regenerated new creation that relies on his sacrifice on the cross for your sinfulness, there is nothing for you to fear. Now, conversely, for those that are sitting where I used to sit, there is something to fear. But we'll talk a little bit more about that later because, yes, there's judgment coming. Now, I want to illustrate. Uh, now, if you would please turn to uh, Luke chapter 4. I want to show you how the Lord himself... Now, I get uh, this morning with, it, with the children showed you something, and I want to show you another, another instance of it, of how Jesus himself uses the manual, uses God's word to fend off his, the enemy, to fend off Satan. Most of us are familiar with the story. Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan, and then he goes off and he, he's in the desert for 40 days being tempted by the devil. The same devil that is personified in the talking snake. And when, as I read through this, I want, you to note, I want you to notice something. I'll ask you a question, so listen carefully. Okay? So here is, and think back to what a Getz story in Genesis told us as well. In Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. It is written. Where was it written? Deuteronomy, in the manual. Now, the manual was, I, the manual was that big at that time. Old Testament. He's quoting scripture. He knows the manual. Okay, he wrote the manual, but that's all the other side of it. But he, in his humanness, knew the manual. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written. 
once again. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Now here he's using the manual again. Deuteronomy again. You'll find that same sentiment in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. And then as Luke describes it here, remember it's 40 days, so we're not getting the whole narrative, right? And that's important to know, right? We're not getting the whole narrative of the 40 days. We're getting some of this. And I, and I say this because you'll find this narrative also in Matthew. Mark, who I love, Mark is, if you want the gospel really quickly, go to Mark. Because Mark tells it in two, literally two verses. He went and he was tempted, and that's what happened. Matthew tells it too, but you'll notice some of the, there's an order reversal here. This is not meant to necessarily be chronological. It is a description of the, some of the events that happened. So there he takes him up to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. This is Satan speaking. For it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear up, bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Whoa. The devil just used the manual. Listen to what Jesus says, and Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6, 16. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until the opportune time. So, rather than ask the question, I guess I'm just telling you, Satan just used the word. He used the word in the garden too. He just twisted it. Took a little out of context. Context is important in any manual, right? So, if I am going off the catapult and I am thinking about my emergency procedure, Throttles max. The rudder, that's the pedals that we use, full against any yaw or roll. And then jettison. Notice how I'm doing this too. It's where they're there. Jettison, push the jettison button to get rid of the stores. Then I'm supposed to maintain 10 to 12 degrees pitch attitude with one of the, with the waterline symbol. It's a, it's a symbol in my HUD. 10 to 12 degrees pitch attitude. Do not exceed 14 degrees because if I do, I get a tone. And if that doesn't work, just like they do, eject. So from the manual... Maintain 10 to 12 degrees pitch attitude. Well, if there's an adversary at my 6 o'clock, hypothetically, because it never happens. It never happened to a good fighter pilot. But if there were, hypothetically speaking. Um, setting 10 to 12 degrees pitch attitude would not be very helpful. I would probably rapidly be shot down. Context is everything. And we don't have time today to go through it, but knowing how to read your manual is critically important. And uh, we've taught this uh, here in the class and, and happy to sit down and talk with them. I'll tell you, it's, you can learn about it. It's just how you read a book. We've kind of forgotten about that. We haven't really been taught a lot about that, I think. We haven't learned about context, historical context. Oh, by the way, when I spoke some of these words to you, you probably understood them, but in some, in some respects, you know, waterline symbol, it's probably kind of Greek to you. Well, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written Hebrew and Aramaic. So we're taking a manual already and translating it. So that in itself has some challenges. So it's not just enough to read the manual. It's important to study and to know it and to know how to do that. But again, we do not have enough time to cover that. But I'd say that, that it's very, very important to be able to do. And that the adversary uses the word too. Okay? Do not be deceived. Um, Know the manual. 
Christ had a view of Scripture, too, so we've t- I've quoted almost exclusively from the Old Testament today. If you look in Matthew chapter 5, 17, just to give you Jesus' view of Scripture. Today, I've actually read from the law, Deuteronomy, and one of the prophets, Isaiah, the greatest of them all. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, the law or the prophets, excuse me, the law or the prophets. The Hebrew Old Testament was divided into the law, the writings, and the prophets. So he's essentially talking about the entire Old Testament here, and he says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, that is a translation, so that you understand the smallest marking in, in Greek or in Hebrew, which is a yod, none of that's going to pass away. It's all there, and it's all true, and it is all good. It accomplishes what I have wanted it to accomplish. It will not pass away from the law until it is accomplished. So God's word is true. It's the manual that we need to know. But as I was explaining just a moment ago, there's parts of this that are hard to understand. You really need to do, you need to approach it with prayer. You need to approach it with reading other parts of scripture. Again, just because my manual says eject doesn't mean I eject. You know what it says in the Bible? Judas went and hung himself. He did. It says that in the Bible. Judas went and hung himself. It also says, go therefore and do the same somewhere else. And we see this today in very more, much more sadly, much more subtle ways and sometimes from pulpits of churches. So know your word. Now, again, it's hard. There's a lot to it. But okay, we have again, our manuals are this thick and thicker. What do we do? We have the bold face. I rattled off the out of control the settle off the cat procedure, like a brand new Alpha Cruise. He's thinking about being home, but boom, he can go. What happens if he has a malfunction in his helicopter? What's he going to do right now? So what are, are some of the trials that you might face or maybe you're facing right now? What are some bold faces? How about is marriage challenging anyone out there? Yeah, marriage is, is I mean, I've been married going on 24 years. I get, as, as you all know, the most wonderful woman. I mean, absolutely the better half. But it's not always easy. So what's the bold face? Well, let me suggest some to you. But the cool thing is you can make your own. I'm encouraging you to make your own bold face. But here's some. First of all, don't give up on your marriage. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, bold face. Love never gives up, and its faith, hope, and patience will never fail. Think about that. Forgive. That can sometimes be hard. Ephesians 4, 32. Instead, be kind and tenderhearted to one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven you through Christ. Choose love. Notice I didn't say feel love. Choose love. 1 Peter 4.8, above everything, love one another earnestly because love covers over many sins. Honor your spouse. Again, sometimes easier than days than others to do that, but honor your spouse. Marriage is to be honored by all, and husbands and wives must be faithful to each other. God will judge those who are immoral and those who commit adultery. He 